0: And being able to talk about it and be heard and tell your truth, I think is really, you know, when it's in our head, it can sound so different. It's just like the story I tell myself can be really skewed. And so when you're able to share it with another person and, and be validated and heard, it just that connection again is what's so important.
1: Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for listening in today to the Confident Mompreneur podcast, the podcast by real women for real women, where we talk about real life difficulties and triumphs as women, moms, business owners, and more. Thanks so much for being a part of our Confident Tribe. Let's get into it. Hello. Hello. Well, thanks for hopping on with me today. Totally. Do you want to start us out by introducing yourself a little bit about you in the family and what you do?
0: Yeah. Um I so I'm Danny Cooper. Um I guess my professional name is Danine Cooper because that's what's on my license. Um I, I am married. I have two kids that are 14 and 11. And I have a private practice that I do therapy in. And I also work as a school social worker at an elementary school that's for first to third graders. So that's kind of my immediate job description and a little bit of background.
1: You forgot the most important part. I'm your aunt. Yes, (laughs)
0: Yes. <laughs> exactly. <Obviously. that> <laughs> yeah. And That's I'm cool. a I'm also a licensed clinical social worker. So that just means that um that I'm licensed by the state of Wyoming to do therapy and assessments and things along those lines. That's awesome. Um tell us
1: a little bit more about the family and the boys. And it's funny because uh her youngest and my son share a birthday.
0: I they do. That is fun. They share a birthday. They are, uh, how
1: many years several?
0: How long? How many? Four or five? Hey, five. So six years apart. Six years apart. Yeah. So, um, Gabriel is a uh, eighth grader and he is the oldest. He's, um, he looks like me, like to a T Mm-hmm. And then he's, um, he's a little more outgoing than I probably ever have been. Um, but he's very laid back and calm and he likes sports a lot. Um, but I think he's, he just won science Olympia. He got gold for that. So I think that's maybe more his gig, but um, he really likes golf and baseball and soccer and he reps for soccer and then Zayden is in fifth grade and he looks just like my husband Noel like to a T um and both he got
1: carbon copy
0: <laughs> yes he loves soccer uh he calls it football not soccer he would get mad at me if he heard me say that um and he is just like fanatical about it. He is obsessed with it. He's played it since he was really little. And uh, spring soccer is about to start, so it's about to take over our lives. Mm-hmm. We are going to Europe in August so they can do some training and um, tour the different stadiums. So it's oh my very gosh, I love that. Yeah, I am not athletic, so it's very <laughs> foreign to me. Not at all. (laughs) I can barely walk without falling. So yeah, it's a, it's a whole new world for me to be (laughs) a mom of kids who are very athletic. Yeah. That's funny. They are though.
1: They're so good.
0: They love it. And I think uh, for Gabe, it's even more, he really loves the camaraderie of it. He likes to be with his friends and he uh, likes to coach. He hasn't been able to play baseball because of his age Uh, for a couple of years. He gets to play this year, but So, he just helped coach Zayden's teams. And I think that's what he really loves. So, that's fun.
1: Yeah. I love that. So, as far as your um, occupation side goes, between your business and working at the school, how did you get started in that? What was your drive to kind of go that route as an occupation?
0: So, it's kind of funny. It's like full circle. Um, When I was, the summer that I was going into seventh grade, my brother died, um, My your uncle Gabe. Yep. So he died in 97 and he, um, it was just really difficult, it was sudden. And so my first day of seventh grade, my, which was only like a month after, um, the school counselor came and got me and said, you know, Mr. Zingarelli was his name. And he was just so kind and and said that he knew my brother. And if I ever needed anything to come and see him and he was just so gentle and really it was um, made me feel good. So after that, if things would come up. Um, so like I remember it was Thanksgiving and I was just really bummed it was our first Thanksgiving without him and I was having a lot of emotions. So I went to talk to Mr. Z and he wasn't there because he was a coach and so he was gone coaching somewhere. So I saw the other school counselor who I don't even remember what her name is. Um, but she was not nice or gentle. Um, she was just kind of like, well, you should be grateful that you get Thanksgiving. Um, cause some kids don't get Turkey. And I was just like, well, that doesn't help. So for me, it was such a negative experience that I decided then that I wanted to be a a counselor to help kids so they didn't have those kind of experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kind of had it in my head from that point that I wanted to do some kind of counseling. And I stuck with that um, all the way through high school. Um, My senior year, a lot of my friends got addicted to drugs, to meth, and so I wanted to get out of here. So I just kind of looked for whatever school Went along with in general what i wanted and i found msu billings and went there for human services and while i was there um i got to do a lot of internships for group homes and my last internship was at rimrock foundation which is a substance use abuse treatment center um, and co-occurring it's mental health too um, but mainly for um addictions so I was able to do my internship there and just really found, um, I felt, I felt like I found my place and I related a lot to it because I had been exposed to so much addiction through my friends and, and just areas of my life. So I really enjoyed working at Rimrock and I worked there. I worked on my master's degree while I worked there. Um, so I got my master's degree in social work. And I was able to do, in Montana, you can be a licensed addiction counselor with a bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. So I worked as a LAC um, while getting my master's, which was really beneficial because I was able to do substance use evals. I was able to do groups and individual sessions. So I really got that experience while getting my master's. Um, And then I got married and pregnant with Gabe. And I switched to the mental health center, which was funny enough, right next door to Rimrock. And I... Still did addiction work there, um, but because I was working on my master's, I could do some of the mental health stuff too, and I just worked there for quite a while. We were in Billings for eight years, um, and I worked as a clinical supervisor for the addiction services program um, at the mental health center in Billings, and then we got pregnant with Zayden. And decided we wanted to move home and be with family. So I was looking for jobs back home and um, a juvenile drug court position opened up for a therapist and the type of treatment um, groups that they did was the same kind that I did in Billings. So it kind of fit perfectly. So we got the job and moved home and I worked for the county for eight years also um doing addiction and mental health i only worked with the juveniles for one year and then i switched to the adult program and so the adult drug courts basically like they've tried probation they've done these things um it's kind of like this is your option before prison maybe and sometimes it's before that but it's a really great program i loved it um what i learned through working with addiction is how trauma is so hand in hand with it. And through trainings, they just kind of talked about, you know, if you're not doing EMDR, which is a kind of therapy, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. It's a whole mouthful. <laughs> if you're not doing that kind of treatment for trauma, then one of the people he he said in the training, then you're, you're doing malpractice. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do malpractice. <laughs> but also I really felt like he was right. I don't know what I didn't know what I was doing without something specific. So um, I really thought about it, and it's it was always intimidating to me. But I I finally decided to go for it. So I went to California to the e, um, EMDR Institute and got trained um, in 2016, I think. And so you go and get trained for three days, and then you come back and you have to do several hours and do supervision and all sorts of things. And then you go back and do another three days and then more hours. And then you're, you've, you're not certified, but you're trained, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. So I did that and I loved it. It's amazing and wonderful. And I wanted to be able to reach more people than the people who were court ordered. And so I opened my practice um, and it was good and i enjoyed doing those things it was a lot of time though uh, a lot of time away from my family so and what i realized as i was learning and teaching my clients my adult clients about trauma as well as addiction was they wish they had they all said i wish i knew this when i was younger and i was starting to see the how necessary it was to bring this information to younger people and so there was an opening in the school district And I thought it would be better hours with my kids. It was a really hard decision. um, But I went for it, which is kind of full circle, because that's why I started. Mm -hmm. And so I started, I got hired in 2019. So I've been here since then, and I still have my private practice. Um, But I've really done less, I've, I've stopped taking new clients, because my kids are getting older, and I only have four more summers with my oldest. So um I do a lot of evals still for drug court I'll go into the jail and do evals for them and then I have like a handful of clients I still see that I've had for a really long time but I haven't taken new clients for quite a while until my kids get older and then I think I'll probably go back to that
1: so that's my journey that's awesome that there's so many like different pieces to that I do love a couple of the things that you mentioned um the EMDR therapy. We've we've had that discussion. So I would love for you to kind of talk more about what that is and how it really um, is great for trauma specific. Um, And then also I think it's really important that you hit on those addictions are typically like 90%, if not more, tied to some sort of trauma and how working through those traumas can actually
0: help on the addiction side of things too. Totally., uh, so there's so much. I could go for hours because I like I love it. I sound crazy when I say I love trauma because I don't love trauma, but I'm I'm fascinated by it. I love learning about it. and um, and there's just so much hope. There used to be that if you were diagnosed with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, people were like, it's hopeless, you know, that's Excellent it. You. <laughs> yeah. And that's just not it anymore. There's so much hope and so many wonderful things. So EMDR is, um, the most research based They have the most research and evidence that it works for trauma. It can be used for other things. It's magical. Um, it really can be used for, for so many things, but the, the thing it's really focused on is trauma and I've used it for, you know, anxiety, lots of other situations too. So is it just the idea
1: the big ahead. T traumas or little T traumas too?
0: Both. So a lot of I guess there's a misconception with people. And I had clients who came to me who said, you know, um that other therapists had told them they wouldn't do therapy with them because they had complex trauma like big T whole life. And they were like, oh no, it's just for like a car accident. And I was like, nope, definitely not. That's not it. <laughs> So um, the way to explain it, because they haven't figured out exactly how it works. There's a couple different ideas. And so this is the one that made the most sense to me Mm -hmm. when I tell my clients about it is that when you do EMDR, the whole thing is bilateral stimulation. And so you can do this, follow your hand or your eyes with my hand my shoulder started popping pretty quickly into that process. So I actually have these little buzzers that they hold and they vibrate their hands one and then the other, and they also light up so they can follow the lights. Um, So that's what I use because my shoulder popping became very (laughs) distracting. (laughs) So um, what that is doing is it's mimicking the REM cycle, the rapid eye movement when we're sleeping. And the idea behind that is that Whenever we go to sleep at night, our brain is taking the things that occurred in the day from our short-term memory. And it's like like on a computer, it's moving that file to the long-term memory. And that's happening during REM cycle. Now, if something traumatic happens and interrupts that, it's stuck in the short-term. And what that means is, I always make the example that one day I was driving down a road in town, in town is important. Because then a deer came running out and I hit it. And when I hit the deer, I was like, you know, my, my heart was going fast. My legs were like jello. I was shaking. Um, But then I went to sleep that night. And now as I'm telling you it, my legs are fine. My heart's fine. If for some reason it hadn't got moved or it was so traumatic that it, it didn't get moved. Then every time I was on that area of the street, I would feel, I would have those physiological reactions. Mm -hmm. I would feel like I was in it again and so like it was happening my whole body would believe it so what EMDR does is we we focus on that worst moment for you whatever it might have been and then you know we try to get all the senses involved think of how you felt think of the thoughts that you had about yourself in that situation what emotion you felt, where you feel it in your body. And then I say, okay, focus on that. And then we go, right. And then you follow my hands or you hold the the buzzers and we do that for a certain amount of time. And then we stop. And I tell you, to take a deep breath. And then I say, what are you noticing? And what I mean by that is when you're doing it, you're, you're observing it. The way they explain it is it's like, you're in a train and you're just watching the scenery go by. And in this instance, the scenery is your thoughts or or whatever comes up in the process. So when I stop and I say, what are you noticing? Either this other memory came to me or I really intensely see this person or unfortunately, sometimes I really I see a lot of blood, whatever it might be, or it might be um, my stomach hurts really bad or I feel it in my chest Sometimes if it's hard for them to find the words for for what they think or or see, I'll have them go to their body. Where do you feel it in your body? And then they'll tell me, and then I just say, go with that. And then we go again. So we're not analyzing. We're not doing anything. We're just going. We're processing it over and over. And before we start that, I ask how disturbing the memory is to you right now. Zero, not neutral. Neutral not good, right? But neutral 10, the worst ever. I feel like I'm in it. Mm -hmm. So throughout the process, I'm checking in to see where you are. And ideally what's going to happen is that it's going to become desensitized. It's going to go down. We're also going to be reprocessing the beliefs you have in the, in the process of that as well. So that's Mm -hmm. where the reprocessing comes in. If it's, I've had times where it's, if there's a really intense trauma and we can't um, get very, very far. I just have them keep focusing on the one thing. I don't ask them what they're noticing. I just have them go, we stop. And then we focus on the one thing so we can at least desensitize it enough to then move on. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the process and it can take anywhere from one session to, you know, several months. It just depends on how long, you know, it takes to get through that. Mm -hmm. And I have a, person with complex trauma we did a, a trauma history and then we grouped mm-hmm. the different events based on you know either the people or what kind of trauma it was or, or certain things or The narrative that you're telling yourself within them yeah. yeah yeah and so as what's cool is when you group it um it'll if you take care of one the other ones will start to minimize as well And so even though we didn't go through all of them, we were able to bring them down significantly. And the thing that I loved about that is that I worked with this person previously, years before I did EMDR. And we worked for a long time and and barely scratched the surface. And once we were able to start EMDR, it was like, you know, we made significant changes. It's just I can't speak enough about how amazing it is. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, and I know for me
1: personally, I have complex, um, from long term and short term, you know, events that we were kind of working through together at the same time. And one of the things that was helpful for me was like, we went through and basically wrote the narratives that I was telling myself in my head. Yes. yes. Um, and kind of grouped it into those, like, you know, it may have come from multiple events, some of the right. some of the short term, but it kind of they both led me to the same conclusion, yes. and that conclusion was, you know, one of those all or nothing statements, like yes. I will never be lovable.
0: Yes, you know? exactly. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: and then we would work through those to, you know, change the narratives in my head to
0: what you would rather believe. Yeah, and so yeah, in that process too, we're saying. How true, if if it's that I am never gonna be lovable, what would you rather believe? Well, that I'm lovable. Okay, how true does that feel to you now? One to seven, not at all, one, <laughs> negative 10, right? Yeah. So our goal as we move on is to get to that seven.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I think it was super helpful. And I definitely notice where I carry my trauma, like in my jaw, it's yes. funny. Even my dentist noticed it about me. She was like, Do you like grind your teeth and like, you know, really crunch down in your jaw all the time? And I was like, Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes I do. She's like, Yeah, we need to work on releasing all of the trauma and stuff that you're holding in there. So that's one of those like bodily things that you don't realize that you're doing it until like it's brought to your attention. And then it's like, throughout the day I'll notice when
0: it gets really tight and start
1: you know working on it
0: (laughs) yeah body work is so important because really the way they described it is what trauma is is it, it pulls apart your soul and your body to where you're you're you know detached and so what a lot of things do is trying to bring you back to the awareness of your body that's why yoga is so good for trauma because it's bringing your awareness back to your body it's you know pulling that together again which is all the trauma work that i've done all the research you know they talk about you need to have that body work as well as as everything else
1: yeah, which when you and I had talked about everything that we had going or I had going on, um, you brought up some of that body work uh, stuff with me. What are some of I know yoga is a specific one. What are some other like body work tools that we could use, especially like for me when I'm having like an anxiety or panic attack?
0: Mm-hmm. I noticed
1: that that's one of the quickest ways to kind of pull myself out of it.
0: Yeah. So um, any kind of physical activity is really good for you. Um, one of my best friends, she went through a really tough time and found that the antidepressants were not for her. They they just messed with her too much. And so what they found was as long as she goes to the gym and runs, like that really makes a difference. And I can tell with her thinking when she hasn't done that. Um, and whereas for me, I'm sure that physical activity is very good for me, but I'm just not going to do it. (laughs) It's just not a, it's just not a reality. Um, Something that you can get the same effect as running is hugs. Mm. 22nd hugs can also be just as good as like a jog, but it has to be like, I, I feel safe with you. Not like a weird, you know, but like a relaxed (laughs) hug. Yeah. Yeah. So those are good. Massages are good um because again some of it goes back to touch and that's with hugs too like human beings need connection and that's how we can gain it at times and so um hugs are good uh massages yoga any kind of exercise those things are really helpful um I would say that's what I can think of off the top of my head at the moment
1: yeah yeah well, and uh, some of the other like things that you um, gave to me were like things to get me out of my own head in those moments too, because that's a big thing is like, you know, how does my body feel? But also what am I seeing? What am I smelling? Yes. You know? So that's what
0: um, I have on my board up here. Let's see if I could show you. <laughs> this is for my kids. So it's the senses, and so it's five things you see, four things you can touch, um, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. Sorry, I keep on plugging and plugging in. So I, I do that after my EM. I don't know why i doing that. Um. I'm just going to leave it unclicked. after my EMDR sessions to ground my clients and bring, and make sure that they're back to where they need to be. Um, I'll have them touch the chair and describe it to me. What does it feel like? And I have the sequence pillows, you know, what does that feel like? How would you describe that to me if I didn't know what it was? What's the back of it feel like, you know, I'll kind of have them go through those things. What can you hear, you know, and that's going to bring them back into the now so that they're having to focus. And what we wanna do is get them out of their head and into their body, because our head is where our problems usually live. And if we can get into our body and keep our body relaxed. Uh, so before you start EMDR, I you, know, I, you do a lot of groundwork to help with those things. So like the pelvic floor exercise is really important because um, it relaxes all the muscles in your body. And it's a very intentional thing that you have to do and that's the hard part is that when, like you said, if you're in a panic attack, it's not so easy to be like, oh, this is what I need to do. Um, but the grounding can, can be nice. Here with my kids, I really like these strips that you can order, like the texture strips. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the calm strips, but you can order any of them on Amazon. And so these have like the box breathing um, but they're they're they have texture, different textures on them. And so having those where the kids can touch that is really helpful. Sometimes if the kids shut down and not communicating, um, if I do the grounding exercise or give them my my ID badge that has the textures on it, that's what will finally get them moving because they're able to go back into their body and not be wherever they've maybe disassociated to. Yeah. so those things are good I sent you some lavender because um <laughs> it's it helps calm the smelling so yep <laughs> I also have that for my kids here in my office um, we teach them belly breathing which is a you know again it is a physiological thing trauma panic attacks, those are physiological responses. Your body is responding to a perceived threat. Whether the threat is real or not is irrelevant. Your body's responding. So breathing and doing some of those things is bringing your body back to the parasympathetic nervous system, which is where you want to be, where you can actually think about what you need to do instead of reacting. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, and I've noticed like once I do that for myself, it's like as soon as I can get out of like that you know fight or flight stage Mm -hmm. that I was in all of a sudden it's like okay I see why I reacted this way I can tell you exactly why I acted that way and I can you know see how maybe I can change it next time so that I'm not constantly in that state every time something like this comes up
0: right yeah and one of the things that uh a therapist talked about at a training I was at was when we can um, face or address some of those perceived threats in a calm body, we will start working our way through it. Mm-hmm. And and that's not always going to be possible because sometimes those threats are, are real and scary. But if there are some that um, are perceived threats that you can work through, if you can go into your body and try to do those things to relax it, you're slowly going to build up that endurance. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. One of, one of the hardest things that I have like been working through is like, you know, being in, um, a pretty emotionally abusive relationship for a very long time. And now trying to create a healthy relationship, (laughs) it's like, I have all of these, um, perceived threats, like you were saying, like, you know, he'll do something or say something and he's not meaning it in the way that maybe my ex did, but I immediately take it that way because my, my body's been trained into that response and it's like, okay, how can I break down a habit or a response that I've made over years and years of conditioning and it takes a long time
0: to do. (laughs) Yeah. One of my favorite um, people ever is Brené Brown. I'm obsessed with her. And what she talks a lot about is when you're communicating, saying things like the story I'm telling myself is that you're calling me dumb. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Oh, well, that's not what I meant at all. And it's like, okay. And you can have that conversation, but um, being able to explain it from that aspect of the story I'm telling myself is this. Mm -hmm. And this is why I'm having that reaction. Yeah. And when you can go into it um, with a, a belief, that they mean well, you know, um, then sometimes it can help, but it's not easy when you've, when you're coming from that kind of background, it's very difficult to overcome. Yeah, really. Um,
1: So then the other thing that I had, you know, talked about and mentioned talking more on was like the the ties between trauma and addiction. I would love you to kind of talk more about that and what you've seen in your
0: experiences. So, so much too, right? It, uh, oftentimes it's like the chicken or the egg, but what I think shows us quite a bit is the ACEs study. Are you familiar with the ACEs study? Mm-hmm. So the ACEs study was done um, by a company in California And what they found was most of their research participants worked for the company. So they were mostly white, um, middle class. And what they, I think it started with them doing like a weight loss research thing. And so they had these participants lose a bunch of weight. But then over a certain amount of time, a lot of them gained it back. So when they looked into why they found... That several of them had some kind of trauma so that led them to think okay I wonder what this is about so then they did more research and found um, that most of the people had some kind of trauma so they started the ACEs when they were young they started the ACEs um, research which is adverse childhood experience and it's 10 questions that ask if these things have happened to you since you've been 19 or um by the time you're 18 and it's things that you this is like more of the little t trauma type of stuff maybe not all but some like are your parents divorced um did someone you live with use alcohol or drugs did were you neglected medically or for food um did you see your mother get hit um did someone you live with have Um, suicidal ideation or suicide attempts were they in jail or prison Um, I think there's several more that I can't there's four more but I can't think of them but those kind of questions Mm -hmm. and what they found was that most of the people had if they had four or more then they had a higher likelihood of having um, serious medical issues like addiction heart disease being overweight suicidal ideation like all of these things and it was really eye-opening because these aren't necessarily things that people would think oh my gosh right Mm -hmm. um but they found that so many people had them and of course the more aces you have the higher your likelihood is of these things and it's even like life expectancy all of that and so it, that was really fascinating. And I think that with that, it makes more sense as to with addiction, it can be, it can definitely be hereditary. It can be your environment, but it can also be, if you have mental health issues and things, oftentimes people are just trying to cope and they will do whatever they need to, to cope. And, and it's effective, right? It ends up not being great (laughs) it's not effective for a long time and then you start having lots of other issues but initially they're just trying to cope Mm -hmm. and it kind of creates its own monster in the process so i think between the aces study and um there's just so many um i don't want to say opportunities but so many things that can go into it that it's really, um, it's surprising, but also it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I think the part two of knowing that genetically predisposed is, is an important aspect as well, because that's just already setting them up before they've even, you know, been able to walk. Mm -hmm. And then if you add in all those other things, it can be enough to tip the, the scale. However, That's kind of depressing however the good news is is that there's also it's not a for sure thing okay it's not a you've had these things and it's definitely going to happen the resiliency factor is also really important and so that's one of the things that i tell the teachers i tell everyone all the time is that if a kid has one adult in their life one adult that they have a good relationship with that they feel connected to that they feel like they believe in them, that can be enough to to change the course of their life. And so that's the important thing to remember. And this is that just because you have those maybe ACEs, uh, ACE score, that doesn't necessarily mean, or if your kids do, right, it doesn't necessarily mean like that they're they're doomed. There is the resiliency factor. And again, relationships connection they're so important and they're they're so healing that that's really hopeful to me and and something that I have to put a lot of my um belief in because that's where the the hope comes from and the you get to see the healing that people are able to have because of that yeah
1: that's awesome well and I was just thinking one of the things that you brought up is like the genetic kind of predisposition but I feel like if you grow up in an environment with say like an alcoholic parent there are a lot of the other things that come up because of that parent being an alcoholic and so then of course you're going to be more predisposed to having that too and I think for me as a parent what that tells me is I
0: need to work on my own shit so that I'm not pushing it onto my kids Definitely. Yep. And that can be anything, you know, that can be um, anxiety. I went to a, a training recently on anxiety and they talked about that most kids, um, if they've been diagnosed with anxiety, their parents definitely have it. And it's because, you know, kids model us. And if we are, they watch us and they see how we handle things. And so that can def- <clears throat> definitely be a piece of it as well. And so it's just so important in general for us to take care of ourselves and do good self-care because you know our we're not in silos we're not on our own everything we do can affect people around us but also just so we can be our best selves as well we really need to focus on on what that means and what that looks like for us
1: yeah I do think that One of the things
0: that's getting better,
1: I'm sure, from when you were a kid and you were saying, you know, the school therapist is that therapy is becoming much more normalized. And I think we're raising better generations because we're doing the work ourselves now. And it's not such a stigma to, you know, go and work with a therapist and to, you know, put your time into self-care or, you know, self-development, all of those different things.
0: Yeah. I think that, um, how, how openly people talk about therapy so important when I was younger, I had a friend in therapy, but it was secret, right? Like no one was supposed to know. And then, um, and that it's still that way, like to an extent for some people, but it's, it's talked about a lot more. And here at school, you know, i teach social emotional learning and we talk about feelings and we talk about how to handle things and and belly breathing and and we're really trying to teach the kids those things now so that they have that information as they go through life and can make um more thought out plans or or they aren't having to react to things as much or not understand like oh i'm really upset right now i don't know what to do like saying hey it's okay to feel that it's okay to feel sad or anxious that's totally normal totally you know understandable that you're going to feel this way um because when people don't know that or or don't have the space to talk about it that's when they start to internalize it or turn to alcohol or drugs or cutting or or eating disorders whatever it might be because they're not working through what they need to so yeah i think that in this time um I'm really grateful and excited to be able to talk about these things with kids. And, you know, I'm blown away by their intelligence on it a lot. It's the coolest thing. It's so fun. But I do think it's going to make such a difference in the world.
1: Yeah, really. Raising, you know, much more emotionally intelligent kids is just going to, I think, make the world a better place in so many different ways. So I do think that's very cool and a lot of the tools that you you've talked about you know I learned for myself and then I passed it on to my son and now he uses them um and it's really great you know like the senses one I use all the time with him when he's upset I'm like okay I understand you're can you can you tell me like three things that you see in your room right now Mm -hmm. and just making him focus on that it almost instantly calms him down every time so I do love that we're, you know, normalizing it. And I do think it's really important for people to be able to tell their stories. And that's something, especially through doing this podcast, it's like everybody just wants to feel heard and feel validated in their experiences and in their feelings. And they can learn so much from like, you know, expressing that and also the people around them. If they're willing to can learn so much from their experiences too
0: definitely yeah that uh one of Brene brown's um i mean she talks about it in all her books and stuff but she, there's a, a youtube video where she talks about the importance of i mean vulnerability it's like her whole her whole gig but that get rid of shame yeah and to get rid of shame you have to be vulnerable and share it right the, the way to make a shame cycle and to grow it is secrecy. And if you keep it secret, then it's going to grow. But if you can share it, that's going to, you know, take the flame out of it. And what's important is knowing, right. Who to share it with. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really important work and, and being able to talk about it and be heard and tell your truth, I think is really, you know, when it's in our head, it can sound so different. It's just like the story I tell myself can be really skewed. And so when you're able to share it with another person and and be validated and heard, it just that connection again is what's so important. Yeah.
1: Well, and I do think that's super important because especially when you go through maybe one of the more big T traumas, It's crazy how we immediately put that on ourselves like 90% of the time. So having somebody else there to like, be like, I understand where you're coming from, but let's look at this from a different perspective. And this was not your fault. Like Mm -hmm. this was on the other person that caused this. Um, It's really hard to work through that when you only have your perspective because our immediate defense was, is, you know, I did this for some reason. <laughs> this yeah. is me.
0: When we went through a pretty traumatic situation a couple of years ago and and I just kept hearing Brené Brown and I was like, I know this is shame. I know this is a shame cycle. I want to curl up and hide, but I know I have to share it. So like I made a conscious effort to talk about it with my friends, you know, to talk about it with the people who were concerned and coming around. Because even though it, it felt so lucky you know for lack of a better word um I knew I had to talk about it because I knew if I didn't it would just get so much worse so I was grateful to have that knowledge and I I think of Bruce Lee has a quote like knowledge is not enough we must do or we must apply and willingness is not enough we must do and that's definitely what it was it was like I know this now I have to do this Mm -hmm. like I, I can't just carry the shame I have to share about it and talk about it yeah definitely
1: Well, I guess final question for you. Any last tips, tricks, tools, anything like that that you want to share, especially for the busy moms that are, you know, trying to do it all and have, you know, their own mental things that they're, they're going through and dealing with.
0: Yeah. So two things, um, one One of the things that with trauma that we found really with anything that is so helpful is mindfulness and meditation. And there was a study done in Boston with uh, construction workers and they did brain scans of them before the study and brain scans after. And so for 16 weeks, they did meditation for 40 minutes a day, which is a lot, but you can get the same benefits from five minutes. What they found was that their frontal lobe um, functioning grew by 60%, which is crazy because our frontal lobe is our impulse control. It's our emotional regulation, like all those things that we really need. And those are the first things that go out when we're in fight or flight. And so if we can grow that, I would just, when I learned about that, I was still working in drug court and I was like, this is a, a game changer for my clients. Mm-hmm. So I highly recommend... Meditation and mindfulness, and I am not good at it because I got a little bit of ADD, and so <laughs> I'm always like, "Oh, what am I going to have for dinner later? Or what's that noise? What are you guys doing?" So, what helps me are the apps, and there's Headspace, Calm, the the most basic one um, that I like that's free is Stop Think and Breathe, and you check in and say how you're feeling, and dependent on how you check in, it suggests a couple uh meditations and you put in your headphones which is what i have to do to block out the rest of the world and it really makes a big difference and they are anywhere from one minute to 10 minutes you can pick the length Um, you can pick a female narrator a male but those are really important and and if you do that it can be enough to refresh your brain as if you got a full night's rest so making the time for that, I would highly suggest as, as a busy mom, like that is something we could do. I just tell the boys like, hey, I got to go in my room. I get my yoga mat out. I do it, you know, and sometimes like I'd have to do it twice. Minutes. I just if I, if I was really hyped up, I had a 10 minute one. But the other thing, um, I read a great book called Burnout. And one of the things they talked about is that we need to complete the emotion cycle, the stress cycle. And so uh, ways to do that are things a lot that we talked about, Um, physical activity, breathing, positive social interactions. Those can be as simple as going and getting a coffee and complimenting the person. You have really nice earrings, you know, or whatever it might be, just remembering that the world is lovely. Um, Laughter, the best, right? Watch a funny movie and make yourself belly laugh. That's the good stuff hugs, we talked about crying is really important. What I loved that she talked about is that when you're crying, her therapist had to teach her how to cry. Do it mindfully. Think about how it feels when you're crying. Don't keep playing that story in your head about why you're crying. Cause that's gonna, you know, make you actually things... have to
1: allow the emotions to yeah.
0: leave your body in that. yes. And yeah. there's actually healing properties in crying. So very helpful. Um, And then creative expression, whatever that is to you, dance, um, painting, singing, making some kind of art, um, having a dance party in the living room. You don't have to be good at it, like just whatever that is. So those are some of the things that they talked about. And I was like, hey, that's manageable. I can do that stuff. So um, I really recommend those things, whatever you can do to to just have a, a good connection with other people, whether that's friends or you, it's really important that you make time for that. And podcasts, like the, what you're doing, it makes such a difference. Um, one of my favorites is Glenn and Doyle's "We Can Do Hard Things," and it just you feel connected to them, you feel connected to the people listening. They have really good topics, um, so uh, those are the things that I guess really rejuvenate me and I get more resources in doing it. So mm-hmm. I could go on for hours, but that's what I got.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Perfect. Well, do you want to tell us where we can find you um, and all of your things?
0: I have probably the thing I'm I'm most active on is I have a Facebook that's just Danine Cooper Counseling, which is um, my name is D-A-N-Y-N-E. It's very hard for people to or pronounce and spell but um and I I just put stuff on there just resources that I like or quotes or podcasts or things like that um you can find find me on there with messenger too it's probably the best way to to get me to respond
1: um, because
0: otherwise I my my cell phone voicemail is full (laughs) fair enough
1: well thank you so much for coming on I think this was so helpful
0: Yes, thank you. I love that you're doing this. And I'm just so impressed with how you take everything that um, life hands you and you're just making it into wonderful, amazing, beautiful things. So it's great. I'm proud of you.
1: If you love this episode, please let us know by submitting a review or sharing with the women in your life. We'll see you next time.